blueprint for his kingdom of transformed hearts. His blueprint, his design for the kingdom that he's making, a kingdom that's only possible through the transforming of hearts. This is a kingdom that's not just something for the future, not just something for um, after the end, but something that is beginning here and now. This is what it's going to look like, he tells us, as my kingdom draws near. This is him describing what the kingdom looks like and describing, therefore, how it is that he actually wants us to behave as we are, in fact, that kingdom coming. And all of that, of course, is something that's only possible as he works on our hearts, transforming us. So we started with that big picture overview. And then last week, we started looking at the way he begins his teaching with this set of short sayings, often called Beatitudes, because they all begin with the words, blessed are, or Latin, which used to be all the rage, says beati, so beatitudes. And as we thought about what beatitudes are, we, we came to the conclusion that these are kind of like Jesus saying, good on you, good on you, mate. You're in, a, you're in a good place. Other people should want to be in that place. Good on you. And we looked at the first three of these. Good on you, why? Because Jesus is calling those who know they have nothing to offer. Those who know this world is broken, those who know that they are nobodies. And he's calling them and saying to them, you can be a part of this kingdom. Good on you. There's a reason to hope. Hope because Jesus is going to turn this broken and messed up world upside down. And we closed out last week with a focus on the fourth beatitude, the one which shows us how. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, those who long for things to be right in our world, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll have that longing satisfied. And we saw the only way to righteousness out there in the world, things being right out there, is through righteousness in here, in our hearts, through that transforming work that God does on our hearts. Now, I know that's a lot, but we're just getting started. So get all that in your head, okay? And then um, the first three Beatitudes teach us. There's this hope for everyone. The fourth one teaches us how. The next three begin to tell us, what is this going to look like? As this begins to happen, what's it actually going to look like? So hang on tight because we've got a lot of ground to cover. First, let's read Jesus' whole set of Beatitudes together again. Sarah's going to do that for us. And we're in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. And if you've got one of the Blue Church Bibles, page 968. Look for the big five, page 968. Look for the big five. And we're beginning at verse 3. Now, we're not ignoring the last one. We're leaving it for next week. We're saving it up. So if you want more, don't worry. There is more. So from verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Thanks, Sarah. So what are those next three Beatitudes we read there? After hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you'll be filled. What are the next three? I want to tell you that these next three are the path of righteousness and its destination. The path of righteousness and its destination. We might call these kingdom virtues. Each is a reflection of the transformed heart. That's the core and the foundation of Jesus' kingdom, how he satisfies that hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
So he's saying to us here, good on you if you see these virtues in your life. Not, not because you are earning the great rewards that Jesus has promised here, but because these virtues are evidence of Jesus transforming your heart. That, that root transformation is the only way to the rewards in the end. Okay, so it's really important we get that distinction clear right at the beginning. This is not earning the blessing, the rewards promised here. This is evidence that the change, the fundamental change has already taken place, which is the only way to those rewards. Okay, okay. If there's only a good on you um, for people who fully have these virtues as well, it's really important we see these virtues come into Jesus' followers' lives little by little bit by bit, rather than all at once. See, if there's only a good on you, one of the ones we heard there was good on you, the pure in heart. Well, if there's only a good on you for people who are completely pure in heart, do you know who that's for? That's for Jesus and nobody else at all. What would be the point in Jesus talking about that, talking about only himself here? So these are all progressive. These are all beginnings that work forward. These are all going to happen bit by bit. Here's a picture for you to think about that, okay? Our, our lives, a bit like this, <clears throat> sorry, a bit like this patch of wasteland. A bit like this patch of wasteland. Think about turning this into a garden. What would you do? You'd plant a bunch of seeds. Now, there'd be very little to see to begin with. In fact, you'd wonder, have I really done anything here at all? The ground looks just the same as it always has, but actually under the ground, transformation is happening. Under the ground, things have started. Weeks pass, and then finally, finally, slowly, but irresistibly, shoots poke up above the ground. Now, now when you first see these stick out of the ground, they look very unimpressive. They're small. They're fragile. The wasteland looks pretty much like wasteland everywhere, apart from this tiny little shoot sticking up. But that one shoot shows you the transformation has started. The one shoot shows you the garden is on its way. The one shoot shows you that the potential in that seed has been released. That's how I think we're going to read these kingdom virtues. That's how I think we have to read them. Is this, these are like the shoots sticking up above the ground. The first, the first evidence that the transformation is happening. It shows you the seed's been planted. So, so good on you. It's evidence Jesus is turning the wasteland of our hearts into a beautiful garden. And that is what comes with this wonderful promises. Now, perhaps you wouldn't call yourself a Christian here today. We're so glad you're exploring with us. If you're here, hope you feel welcome. And particularly, hang around for the desserts. Uh, we have amazing cake. You should definitely stay for that. Um, but but I, I want you to think about this too. I think it's important because as you look at people who call themselves Christians around you, it's not a question for you of whether they are perfect people. Teflon, nonstick, clean, shiny, and happy. That's not what you should be looking for if what Jesus says here is true. What you should be looking for, let me save you the trouble. There ain't no people like that. None of us have that together. We might be able to act it and pretend for a little bit, but we can't pull it off at all. The question is not whether we're still wasteland. The question is whether anything is growing at all. So ask yourself about the Christians around you. Is, is anything growing them at all? Is there any evidence of change? Do you see any of these virtues sprouting? 
So that, I think, is a good way to think about it as you look at the people around you. Like, Christians do not have it all together. We don't get it all right. But we do believe that God has started something in us. Okay, let's dive in. We've got heaps to cover, so I'll talk really fast. That'll help. Um, why does Jesus start by blessing the merciful, right? The first one we talked about, blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Why is that the first thing after this hinge on righteousness? Why is this the, the first kingdom virtue he picks up on? Well, to answer that, we've got to think about, well, what does this mean to have mercy? What does it mean to be the merciful? And at the top level, mercy is simply having compassion on the needy. Simply having compassion on the needy. If you trace this word through Matthew's gospel that we're studying, what you're going to find, most people use this word with the sense that uh, again and again, they need help. Uh, it's, it's in the mouths of the people who are suffering. They call out to Jesus, have mercy on me. And what they want is exactly this compassion in their suffering. They want health. They want relief. They want healing. The good Samaritan is, is lauded because he shows mercy. He has compassion on somebody who's in need. But if you watch how Jesus uses this word, it's a little bit different than that general sense. Jesus talks about mercy like that, but also as having compassion specifically on those who failed. Not just those who are in need by coincidence or by accident, but those who are in need because they've failed. Twice, Jesus rebukes the judgmental Pharisees tut-tutting, those rulesy purists, with the truth that God desires mercy not sacrifice, the attitude God wants to see, the attitude God himself has, mercy. Perhaps the clearest picture comes from a famous parable Jesus tells about a servant who has this unpayably vast debt. There's no way he could ever sort it out. And he's forgiven that huge debt completely and freely by his master. But shockingly, he then won't forgive one of his fellow servants two pence. He won't forgive his peer a trivial debt Unlike his master, he won't show mercy. So here's the sense as we're thinking about mercy, okay? Having compassion on those who have failed. Having compassion on those who don't measure up. That's what mercy means. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who have compassion on the needy, particularly on those who don't measure up, on those who have failed. Good on you if you start seeing that in yourself because it's evidence of this transformation. Now, think about why that sort of merciful attitude should be a kingdom virtue. Why does this belong to God's kingdom of transformed hearts? Well, obviously, it's because this is exactly the attitude of the king himself. Mercy is the door for us into this kingdom of transformed hearts. We don't measure up. We fail to measure up. He has compassion on us. Having entered through that door of mercy through that kingdom value of mercy, how could any of heaven's citizens be anything other than merciful themselves? It seems kind of obvious. If Jesus has had mercy on the wasteland we've made of our lives and Jesus plants the seeds of transformation, something beautiful inside our hearts instead, how come we can't have compassion on those around us whose lives are wastelands too? Or perhaps where there's just the very first tiny shoots sprouting up, but it's pretty unimpressive stuff. How dare could we look at that and spit on that in judgment when we'd have nothing different ourselves without Jesus? When you think about it, this kingdom virtue of mercy is specifically evidence of a transformation that starts from the inside and works its way out. A kind of heart-first transformation. Because if you try for an outside-in transformation, if you try 
to reverse the polarity, as it were. Well, it breeds the exact opposite of mercy. Let me explain, okay? Think about trying to measure up to the standard that Jesus is going to set out for us um, in these next few chapters of teaching. He's going to set out for us amazingly high standards. Try thinking about achieving these through your own efforts by gritting your teeth, making amazing New Year's resolutions, trying really hard. Now, from the outside in, you might achieve some measure of results. You might even achieve some similar-looking results on the surface. Could you be more generous? I, I expect you could. More selfless? Could you look more godly? I expect you probably could. Let's imagine you could if you tried. But if you actually deliver that, if you deliver a better performance, it is almost unavoidable that in consequence, you look at those around you who don't, you look at your own majestic accomplishments, and you scorn their pathetic failure next to your performance. That is exactly the attitude we'll see in the Pharisees as we meet them through the story of Jesus' life. I think the big difference between an attitude of mercy towards others who fail to measure up and judgment towards others who fail to measure up is where we think anything good in us comes from. Where we think any righteousness in us comes from. Who do we think planted anything beautiful in us? Was it me? Did I do that? So merciful, okay? Merciful. Good on you. What about, what about the next one? Blessed are the pure in heart. Again, we've got to understand what's blessed first. It's not just someone pure here. It's somebody pure in heart. And to unpack that, what does a heart mean to us as modern people? It's the place where we feel things, right? It's where our emotions live. We might pit the heart, our emotions, against the head, our facts, and our reason, our understanding. You might be tempted then to pull in that sense here, for pure heart, pure feelings, that sort of thing. You might be thinking about people with pure emotions, but in Bible times, the heart's a bigger concept. Uh, it, it was the home of the emotions, absolutely. That was definitely something that lived there. But it was more than that. It was the home of our reason. It was the home of our will. It was like the control center, the headquarters, where all the different parts of us come together. What would it mean to be pure in that total control center? Well, like I said earlier, right? All of these things are progressive where Jesus is only talking about himself. So what we're looking for is the first shoots of purity in there, the first goodness, the first rightness in the control center starting to poke up above the ground, not a, a finished product, not a destination, not a completed package. And maybe the biggest thing to notice here is that purity is a matter of the inside, the heart, the control center. It's not a matter of the outside and the conduct and the way we behave, just like we're talking about with merciful there's something fundamentally inside out about this virtue as well. The origin of this is critical, not just the effect. Perhaps, again, that should make us think, okay, so all these virtues, what are they? They are evidence of what God has done inside us, not things that earn the remarkable promises here. Let's keep going because there's more. Um, blessed are the peacemakers. That's the last one we're going to look at this morning. Blessed are the peacemakers. What do you think Jesus means? my mind naturally jumps to places blighted by war. We've got plenty of them. There's no shortage of them, neither has there been. One commentator I read said, in the past 4,000 years, there have been less than 300 years of peace. And that's just at the kind of international scale. 
Seeking peace, not war, at the societal level. Definitely, that is part of what is going on here. Unquestionably important, though that's like not simple. We shouldn't trivialize what it means to be peacemakers like that. It's really not the only place we should think about it. Out there, at the large scale in the world, I think there are two other threads which probably belong more center stage as Jesus keeps teaching us about how it is that he plans for his kingdom to work. First, there's a pursuit of peace much, much closer to home. Jesus is going to put a priority to this in just a, a few words. He talks about offering your gift at the altar. There you remember your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift. Go and be reconciled. That's peacemaking, isn't it? Somebody's got something against you relationally, personally, individually, and you're going to go to them to try and sort it out. That's peacemaking. We'll think about that one in more detail in weeks to come. But perhaps the most important peacemaking we should be thinking about as we get to all of this is something that every Christian's experienced directly. In love, God takes the initiative to make peace with us, his enemies. Romans 5.8 tells us exactly this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, that is, while we were still his enemies, going away from him, Christ died for us. We're the ones who turned our back on him. We're the ones who walked away. God takes the initiative to come after us, to seek to make peace with us, to pursue reconciliation. And Jesus is very much the model there. Colossians tells us the same thing. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ, in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So there's another place. If you're thinking about the green shoots that you might expect to see springing up in your life, if this is really your story, really your transformation, if you're really a part of this coming kingdom, well, just as God has made peace with us, he brings us into that same business, engages us in peacemaking, calls us to be his ambassadors. That's the word he uses to those around us in need of peace with God. Those who have turned their back on God, just like we had those who God in his mercy is still choosing to take the initiative with, choosing to pursue. Now, I think we can absolutely understand our mission as Christians to share the hope that we have in Jesus with the world around us as peacemaking. Ultimately, the most important peacemaking of all at the end of the day. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Now, we looked at the first half of each of these Beatitudes there, just a little bit. There's more to say about all of them. But I want to switch our focus on to the second half, what's promised for those who are blessed. The reason Jesus says, good on you, is because of what's coming their way. And I think there's a, a progression, almost like a ladder in the blessings that are promised here. Blessings for those whose hearts are transformed. So let's look at the other end. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That's the first promise, shown mercy. Remember we thought about what mercy is specifically here, compassion on the needy, particularly compassion on those who have failed. The first piece of good news for Jesus' followers, at the beginning of his teaching, the first rung on this ladder of blessings is that there's mercy ahead of us rather than judgment. Rather than getting what we deserve for all the ways we've failed in life, and it's no secret that we've all failed. 
We measure up against God's perfect standards. Rather than judgment, we can live confident in the hope and anticipation of God's mercy in the end. Particularly on those who have failed. Mercy not because we've earned it. That wouldn't make any sense. How could you earn mercy? It wouldn't be mercy if you earned it. You wouldn't need mercy if you'd earned it. All we've earned is judgment, and instead we get this mercy because of his love for us, because of his grace towards us. And I think that invites us to find evidence that God's love is set on us, that we're beginning to be transformed by it, beginning to show some echoes of that same mercy that we're recipients of towards others. Well, good on you. That's evidence. Okay, mercy, not judgment, first rung on the ladder. But it goes further because we're not just not getting what we deserve. We're not just tolerated by God. Second one, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, it's an interesting thing to talk about seeing God. There's lots to um, say about this. The Bible has plenty to say about this. But I think this is talking primarily about God's presence rather than his absence, so if the first one is about peace rather than hostility, and the second one is about presence rather than absence, the hope Christians have of ultimately being with God. Now, that can feel pretty abstract, kind of incomprehensible when we think about and talk about God being omnipresent. He's everywhere, so we're already present with God. But God always has had special manifestations of his presence. Why do I talk about presence? The Bible tells us plenty of times that God is invisible, right? You want to look that up? Colossians 1.15, 1 Timothy 1.17, God is not material like us. That's the point. He's not made up out of atoms. So when we think about seeing him, he's altogether other. It's not so much that our eyes will receive light of particular wavelengths and we'll go, okay, that's God. When you look at the Bible about what is associated with seeing God, what's associated with the presence of God, People are afraid to see God in the Old Testament. They're terrified, in fact. And they're terrified because of their imperfections and the, 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 the danger, the deadliness of being imperfect in the presence of God. I think of the prophet Isaiah's famous vision of God and how he responds to that. He's seeing God. What do you think he's going to go? Like, wow, that's amazing. This is super cool. Let me draw. Let me sketch it out for you. It's really exciting, people. I have had an amazing experience. Now he says, woe to me. I am ruined when he sees God. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. Caught up in the presence of God is this holiness now, the transforming work that Jesus begins in our hearts when we begin to honor him as Savior and Lord means that one day, too, we will be fully and truly pure like him. We actually have this hope as a result of being able to be in his presence, not fearful like Isaiah, but joyful without that kind of incompatibility between our impurity and God's purity. One day, we will be able to see to be with God. And again, I think we've got evidence for this, beginning to see the green shoots of purity grow up in our hearts and lives. Not our moments of purity, the slices of it that we can deliver, earn the right to be in God's presence. They're evidence that he's changing us. Evidence of that fundamental transformation going on inside of us. That's grounds for hope. Grounds for confidence, even. 
Okay, two rungs, mercy, not judgment. Presence, not absence. Then there's the third one, and I think this is the summit of the blessings we are offered through him. The promise here is, blessed are the peacemakers because, for they will be called children of God. Mercy, okay? Presence, this is relationship. Family, even the closest of relationships. Jesus is rightly called God's one and only son. There's a special place he has in God's family that we will never share. But through Jesus, God is offering not just mercy, not just reconciliation, but incorporation into his family, brothers and sisters of Christ himself. Picture yourself sat around the table with family. Now, some of us have families that more or less perfectly reflect the heavenly family. Maybe our experience of that are not wonderful. Imagine sitting around a table with the perfect family. Imagine a family that you're unbreakably part of forever, that you're included, secure, always loved. That's pretty heady stuff, pretty epic blessings that Jesus is laying out. So, so yeah, good on you. No wonder it's good on you. Every week, we try and step back. When we made some progress, and hopefully we've made a little bit of progress to trying to understand what Jesus is saying to us here, well, understand a little bit more. That's all very well, but we want to ask the question, well, so what? So, so what? I guess first up, do you want these promises? I hope you do, because these are pretty amazing things, pretty awesome things in the kind of proper sense of the word. Uh, Maybe you understand them in part. I think none of us truly understand these in their fullness. These things are beyond our grasping. But even in part, even the, the little bit that we can understand these things, that's pretty amazing. So you want to enjoy these promises, mercy, presence, relationship? You want any confidence around these at all? Then I want to tell you, go look in your life for evidence. Go look in your life for the things Jesus flags with this blessed phrase, good on you. Because without that evidence, not good on you. Right? Now, as we've been working through this, we've got to keep repeating to ourselves, need to stay clear. We're talking about evidence rather than earning it. We're talking about evidence of Jesus' transformational work in your heart rather than feeling, I need to deliver such an amazing performance that these promises are actually going to be mine by right. God should want me in his family. God should absolutely have nothing against me. That's, that's not how it's going to work. Evidence of transformation. So, so then I guess we have to ask the question, what if there's no evidence? What if you don't see any evidence? I would say sometimes we don't see ourselves that clearly. Many times the truth is we've got a much higher view of ourselves than we ought to have. Right, we think we're pretty cool. We're doing pretty well. That's not everyone, and that's not always. Sometimes we have too low a view of ourselves. Sometimes we can't see the wood for the trees, as the saying goes. Sometimes it might take somebody outside yourself to see and notice these green shoots springing up. So if you are questioning, if you're feeling like this morning... Where is it? Is there any evidence of transformation in me at all? I want to encourage you to talk to a friend. Talk to somebody who knows you. 
Talk to somebody who knows your life, who sees you. Dare to ask them, do they see anything? Do they see any evidence in you that you are being transformed? Even if they're just tiny green shoots. And I think this is really important on the other side. Really good reminder to us. If you see in anyone else these green shoots beginning to stick up, tell them. Encourage them. You're not going to make them big-headed and start to think they're superb. You're going to give them evidence that God is actually at work in their life. You're going to give them reason for the hope of these promises. Good on you, you could say to them, because I see something in your life. And what about if you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus here today? What is there for you? I have to tell you, these promises are not just good things, optional extras that you can bolt onto your life and things would be a bit better. That's not what these promises are. They're not things you could take or leave. These things are essentials. Think about the opposite of each of these promises. It's a terrible thing. The opposite of being shown mercy is being shown judgment. The opposite of seeing God is never seeing God, removed from his presence. The opposite of being children of God is being enemies of God. Serious stuff. It's a terrible thing. Don't leave today thinking, I need to earn mercy, earn presence, earn relationship. Nobody can do that. Don't think you're going to earn a good on you just by toughing it out and trying a little bit harder and pulling your socks up. You have to understand, all of this is rooted in a transformed heart. That Jesus' whole beautiful kingdom plan will never come about apart from that transformation. There's no outside in path here. There's only an inside out path. What should you do? What, what could you do? Pray. Pray for a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Yeah, out there in the world, absolutely, but in here in yourself. Pray that you would see where you are and how you are. See the wasteland that you're living in. And then trust Jesus' promise that you will be filled. Ask him, plant that seed of a transformed heart inside me. Plant that seed of your wonderful kingdom inside me. I hear and I see the wonderful kingdom you're talking about, and I want to be a part of that. The kingdom come. You can ask God for that today. He's listening. He's ready. Don't wait. Don't leave it. We're going to sing about this heart transformation now. Uh, it's a short, simple song, but I think it's quite profound. So if I can invite the band back up, I'm just going to pray and then hand over to Ian and the team. Lord God, uh, what an amazing set of promises. Reconciliation. Presence relationship, family even. These are amazing things we're talking about. And yet we know that we don't deserve any of these things. Thank you that you really are the God who transforms wastelands into gardens. 
please would you plant among us so many of these seeds? And would you grant us the encouragement of seeing them begin to grow up so that we have this evidence of your transformation? We encourage one another where we see it. And I pray for those who don't know you today. Think about the opposite of those promises. Uh, Lord, I pray. Have mercy. I thank you that your heart is the heart of a peacemaker who pursues and goes after. I do that today, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this last song.